in a book that he wrote that certainly helped me through a tough season is titled, Tough Times Don't Last, The Tough People Do. And uh, in that season uh, that I discovered that book, it spoke a lot to me. Uh, but the truth is, some seasons of life are just meant to be tough. Um, if we think about it in the context of um, our lives uh, practically, um, Daniel and I were speaking yesterday about working out in the gym. He worked out in the gym and I don't, so it was a one-way conversation essentially. But I do remember what it's like to work out in the gym. And theoretically, if you exercise the right way to the right level, correct me if I'm wrong, it, it might be sore the next day. If you work out in the right way, it might be sore. And I used to say to Jackson, we had a gym at home when he was living at home, and we would work out together, and I would say to him, son, if it doesn't hurt, it doesn't help. Perhaps we could apply that quote to other aspects of life. Sometimes we need to accept that if it doesn't hurt, it doesn't help. Look, the, the setup for today's message is that growing, growing with God is sometimes tough, it's certainly not always easy. And um, the book of Haggai, which we're about to dive into again, is, is all about that. It's all about growing with God, but growing with God is not easy, and sometimes it's tough. Tough times don't last, but tough people do. And in reflection, I thought about this, and, and Jesus himself, he instructed us in this, uh, in the conversation he had in the garden with his disciples the night he was betrayed, he led them and they walked, I believe they were walking through, looking at the vines that were around them. And Jesus in John 15 says this, it's John 15 verse 5 if you like to take notes. Jesus says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, that's awesome. It's encouraging. But it comes on the back of him saying something a little bit different. You see, at the beginning of John 15, he says this, I'm the grapevine. My father is the gardener. He, the father, cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. Now, I don't know if you've ever been pruned, literally, or if you've been in the garden and cut yourself with the secateurs. But I would imagine if God is coming to us to cut away pieces of our lives, it's going to be painful. A sharp secateur is designed to cut cleanly, but cut right through. And uh, I'm not the first preacher to say this. I've heard it many, many times. The encouragement in the midst of the pruning when it hurts like crazy is that you can only prune when you're close to the branch. You want to ever prune roses and come away with scars? And it's encouraging to me that in those times when it hurts like crazy to know the gardener is close to us. The gardener can only prune when he's close to us. So when it's tough, when it hurts, when God's trying to grow us because he wants us to be more fruitful, we can be confident that the gardener is near to us. The writer of the book of Hebrews said something similar but different. If you, uh, if you take notes, Hebrews chapter 12, you've heard this passage before, I'm sure. 
Let's just look at verse 5. The writer of Hebrews is actually going to quote Proverbs uh, 3. But he says, Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He, God, said to you, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. What's my point? The book of Haggai that we're walking through is a book that God has given us as a message to shape us, to prune us, to discipline us, and to draw us into a life of fruitfulness. But you might feel a little tender. You might be sore after you've had a good look at it and you've processed it. Now, this is message number five. If you're visiting here or you're not um, connected with us every week, we have um, a message series. It's on YouTube and it's on Spotify. And it's pretty easy to find. You find Zion uh, Media on YouTube and there's, they're all on a playlist. So it should be easy for you to catch up. Um, and there's also worksheets. Worksheets are supplied for every message in this series to help you to grow. So my goal today is to talk to you about the book of Haggai. What I want to show you, and you can see this on the screen, is that the book of Haggai is actually made up of four prophetic messages that Haggai received, word from God, that he received and gave to God's people. Four different messages. Now, message number one, if you jump right back to message one, what I did is I showed you the historical timeline and where it fits in in the story of God's people. That might be interesting for some of you. Phil's done a couple of messages and talking about the themes and the, and the key point in the book of Haggai. That might be interesting to you also. This, I found an interesting reading guide. If you're reading the book of Haggai, which I encourage you to do while we're in the series, you might see these four messages and take them one at a time. So there's the rebuke of God's people for their idleness, which means not doing the mahi basically, as we would say in New Zealand. The second prophetic message is called the glory to come, and I'm going to speak about that today. The third message is about the removal of judgment, and the final message is about the restoration of relationship. So the good news is there is good news. All right? God prunes us, he disciples us in order to be fruitful. So there is good news in the book of Haggai. What I want to speak about today is that second message and the title of today's message, you know I like to just make sure there's a tag that we can have as a title, is about the glory to come. And I want to pray. Almighty God in heaven, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Scriptures, uh, which we believe are alive, that they are given to us as a gift to guide us, to strengthen us, and in the case of today, to disciple us, to help us to become stronger. Almighty God, we ask by your Holy Spirit that you would come and speak to each of us. Lord, I trust your Holy Spirit is um, working in our midst. Take my words, transform them, but make them real for people uh, as they hear the Scriptures today. And we choose to open ourselves to you, every one of us, in whatever position we're in, where we're at in life, we open ourselves to you and say, God, would you speak to me today? Amen. Hey, you might be noticing um, that we've been mixing up how we do church and we've been mixing up how we bring you the Word of God. 
So um, traditionally what church was, was you'd come and you'd do two songs and you'd talk about life and then you'd do two more songs and you might have the emblems and then the preacher would get up and speak to you for 30, 40 minutes and you'd sit there and listen. Hopefully, sometimes, some of you. Uh, Which is why I keep the lights bright here so that you're in the shadows because I can't see if you're actually awake. It's encouraging for me not to be able to see that. But what we've been doing is mixing it up. And, and some weeks we do preach a sermon, and other weeks there's a video online, and then some weeks we just have a chat. But here's why. This slide here is not related to Haggai, but it's related to what we feel God's saying to the church, and that is it's really, really, really important as leaders is that we create an environment for people to grow, to be discipled, because discipleship is the mandate of church leaders. If we're the ones doing all the work, then in fact we're not doing our job properly. Our job is to equip people, to create an environment for them to grow, perhaps even make it uncomfortable so that you step outside of your comfort in order to the place where you grow with God. So what we're going to continue to do is to present the Word of God to you, but in a variety of ways. But it's not enough for you just to hear the Word. Sure, faith comes by hearing the Word of the Lord, but it doesn't help you grow. Knowledge is not maturity. Pastor Sam Monk said to a bunch of us leaders recently, he's from Acts Church New Zealand, he said, look, you can have someone sitting in your church 20 years, but if they have the same experience every year for 20 years, then they're just 20 years older with one year's maturity. And that falls on you, and he pointed at us as pastors. So hearing the word of God is not enough. Knowledge, in my mind, just leads to puffery, and puffery creates fools. So we're trying to change things, and it's a little different, because what we want you to do is engage with the Word of the Lord. And whether you're in the building or whether you're watching videos online, you can engage. You can pause, you can think, you can stop, you can meditate, you can ask God to speak to you. That's how you engage with the Word of God. You should be discussing it with other people. That's how you grow. But then, it's important that we respond. It's important that every single one of us has a willingness that God would not just speak to us, but he would invite us into change and that we would say, yes, Lord, here I am, change me. And so that's how we're shifting things. So in that, I want to talk to you briefly about Haggai. So I'm going to present to you some thoughts, and then I have got a worksheet for all of you so you can discuss what we've talked about, and you can take it Away. If you're online and you're watching online, then the link is in the description below. Click that, you'll find the, uh, the PDF form and you can have it on your screen of choice. But let's talk about Haggai. Haggai chapter 2. The first nine verses are the second prophetic message. So Haggai chapter 2 from verse 1 to 9 is the second prophetic message of Haggai. And uh, I'm going to read it. Some of it. Um, watch the dates. They're really interesting. I'm not going to talk about dates today. Uh, Phil's talked about it sometimes. But um, the dates are quite fascinating when you start looking at the structure of this because they're in a season where God is speaking to them. And I believe as a church, we're in a season where God is speaking to us. I've had conversations this morning with people. God's been speaking to me. This is what he's saying. I've had conversations all week with people that have been confirming what God's been saying to me. That's my testimony that I would have got up and shared, but I knew I was already getting the microphone. Haggai chapter 2, there's a certain uh, period of time, and the word of the Lord comes through. Haggai, say this to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Yeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, 
and to the remnant of God's people. Does anyone remember this house, this temple, in its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. But now the Lord says, Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Yeshua. Be strong, all you people still left in the land. And now do the mahi. Do the work. For I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So do not be afraid. For this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says to you. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this place... I will bring peace. Man, what a gift this passage is, this word. And, uh, and we've got to unpack it. And I've just got a few thoughts that I'm going to share with you on the screen to highlight some stuff. But th- what I'm hoping is it sparks something in you to have a chat with someone, to think about it, to digest it, you know, uh, that we bring it inside of us, the bread, the word of God is bread for our soul, that it nourishes us and sustains us and that we grow through it. So let's look at verse 3. You can see it on the screen, or you can see it in your Bible. Um, who was left among you that saw this temple in its former glory? So, so if you look at the timeline of the story, and I've done that in different messages, the people of God had a beautiful place to hang out. And then Nebuchadnezzar turned up, and he destroyed the temple, and he took them away captive. Hundreds of thousands of them went captive back to Babylon. And then 70 years later, as God had said, they came back to start again. And they're there. And they're in the midst of it. They had a bit of a false start. Listen to another message to explain that. But this is why this verse is so important. Because God is saying there are some of you sitting here that can remember what it used to be like. Some of you saw it. And if you want to look at 2 Chronicles, the first seven uh, seven chapters, you will see Solomon the son of King David, rebuilding the first temple. And it was glorious. It was magnificent. And my favorite chapter is chapter 7, when they come before God and they dedicate it to the Lord as an offering and the Spirit of God falls on them like a cloud. And even the priests can't stand up. They can't sing because the thickness of the cloud of God is so rich and they're transformed by God in their midst. Second Chronicles chapter 7. And there's some dudes standing here with Haggai that were there to see it. And God's saying, well, can you remember what it was like? And is that why you're crying? Ezra, Ezra chapter 3, verse 12, for those of you taking notes, all the people, so Ezra is at exactly the same time. This is the timeline. You kind of got to get your head around. It's in a different page on the Bible, but it's actually same, same time. All the people came together, clapping their cymbals, and with praise and thanks, they sang the song, He is good. But in verse 12, many of the older priests, Levites, and other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundations. 
And God is saying, how do you see it now? And what, what, I, what I've taken from this is, is that there's something we can learn. And that is this. God likes to use contrast to disrupt us to reveal something. God uses contrast to disrupt us, to make us uncomfortable because he's about to reveal something around us. And, 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 and think, of, think, excuse me, think of some examples. Goliath, the giant, nine foot tall, bulletproof, for 40 days stands and defies the armies of God, but more importantly, he defies God. And in contrast, a shepherd boy rocks up, the delivery boy, Uber, Uber Eats. Here's your bread, brother. Here's your cheese, brother. What's happening? And in contrast to the giant, the boy is young and not even allowed to be in the army. But God uses the contrast because he's about to reveal something. A type of Christ, a deliverer that would come to set his people free. What about the contrast in Gideon's army? God says to Gideon, well, you brought 32,000, but I just want you to take 300. If I'm, if I'm Gideon, I'm not happy about that. Contrast. And, and, and probably my favorite out of all of those, uh, these ones is um, Abraham and Sarai. Genesis 15. God says to Abraham, I'll make you a father of many nations. And he takes him outside and he says, look at the stars. As numerous as the stars are in the sky, so too shall your descendants be. And he looks at himself and says, well, I'm a bit old. He looks at his wife and says, well, I love her, but she's also old. Contrast. Because the very next verse in Genesis 15 says, and Abraham believed God and God credited to him as righteousness, right standing. When God makes a contrast, he's setting us up because he's about to reveal something. And like I said, Life's not easy, life's tough, some seasons are are rough, God's causing us to shift, God's causing us to change, he's causing us to grow. How do we see things now? Are we standing there like the Levites with tears in our eyes, remembering what was? Because perception is reality. But whose perception? Isn't life interesting? Let's look at verse 4. One of the keys for those of you, um, many of you would have heard this before, but it's just, um, it's just a good reminder, is when you see repetition in the Bible, it's like a red flag that you should take notice of it. When God repeats himself, it's because he's making emphasis, and we see here in verse 4, he says, Take heart, Zerubbabel. Take heart, Yeshua. Take heart, the remnant of God's people. So he's making an emphasis. Now, at pause, time out. If you see this in the Bible, stop. Stop and say, oh, Holy Spirit, would you just shine your light onto this for me right now? What, what would you say to me? Because like, you're not shouting, but you're trying to make a point. So when you see something repeated, especially in the same verse, remember Joshua chapter 1? What did God say to Joshua? Moses is dead and he's going to lead the people and he's like, whoa, hang on, who am I? These people don't even like their last leader. Be strong and courageous, God says to Joshua three times in chapter one of Joshua. So, anyway, take a notice. 
when God says something. What's he saying here? Be strong, be strong, be strong. Take heart, take heart, take heart. This is like um, be encouraged, um, have hope, be strong and courageous. Um, this is, comes from God. And when God says something, we need to take notice. And then he says this in the next part of that verse. He says, and begin to work for I am with you. So first and foremost, why should we take heart? Because God is with us. But secondly, there's almost a, it's, a, it's not a conditional promise, but it's an instruction with a reminder. Because the point of that verse is not that you just be strong. The point of that verse is get to work. Because that's the theme of Haggai. The theme of Haggai is, hey, you, didn't, you started well, but you, you've stopped and you need to get going again. And, and so we've got to be careful to take the message from God that it's like, come on, take strength because I've got something for you to do. And so the word of the Lord doesn't come to the people of the Lord in order that they would just feel good. We are all on mission. We are all here because we're representatives and ambassadors and citizens of a kingdom that is not yet fully manifest, but we are to represent that to the world. We're on assignment. We're on mission. We're building the temple, but it's not a building. We said to you several weeks ago, the temple is you. The temple is me. God is saying, come on, let's build this temple. And I don't want to dwell on this, but I want to point to it. So maybe go back to, for um, homework, you can go back to message number three. But these are just two slides that I shared the other week. Because sometimes when God says take strength and do stuff, it's because we didn't do it. And the people were rebuked for their idleness. And in message number three called Consider Thy Ways, the Lord, I said, the Lord says, do not be disobedient in your delay. Do not allow your delay to be disobedience. And there's two causes of that. And the first one is other people going, wah, 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 wah. And if you read the book of Ezra, you get the context of what caused God's people to be disobedient. It was because they were being attacked and abused and, and accused by other people who even went and told tales to the king. Whose voice are we listening to? Refresher for the message. The second cause of delay is the noise of pressing circumstances. Sometimes life is just so hard that everything that's going on around us distracts us from keeping our eyes focused on the one who gave us a promise. And in that we delay, and in the delay we be disobedient. So I don't want to get into that, but that's a reminder that we should think about because God said in verse 4, I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. I spent a lot of time in this verse this week. And I haven't highlighted it on the screen, but you can see that God says in the translation that I've used on the screen, God says, do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. And as I, as I read that, my first... Um, my, my, my first takeaway or my first uh, reflection was, well, that's, a, that's an instruction. It's a command from God. And, and like you can read it multiple times in the Bible. God says to the people of God, don't fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. And I thought it was a command. And, and, and probably for a long, long time, I've read that in the Bible as a command. But as the more I sat in the text, as I just had it open before me, and as I just read it, and I just hung out with God, I felt God shifted things for me. 
And I've got a new insight that I want to show you because it might help you. What if, what if, when we read do not fear, instead of receiving it as a command or an instruction, what if it was an invitation? One of the things that Sheridan always used to teach us, Sheridan's my overseeing minister in Hamilton, he's my pastor when we were up there, he always used to teach us in staff meeting, he says, you know, when you tell people what to do, you point like this. But when you invite people, you hold your hand out like this. What if God isn't waving his finger at us, but he's holding out his hand saying, don't fear. God will let you live in fear if you want. Like, it's your choice. Like, he's not a controlling freak. He's not a dad that has you on a short lead. It's like you get your choice and you get the fruit of your choice. But I feel like he's holding his hand out and he's saying, come on, don't fear. There's another way to live. Invitation is here for everybody. God invites us to live away from fear with a different focus on God. And then... The beautiful thing about this verse is the things that I have highlighted is why would we choose to think that God was good? Well, firstly, he says, I made your promise. And in the context of this, he's speaking to the people of Israel whom he spoke to through numerous uh, characters in the Old Testament. He says, I will be with you for I'm calling you out as my nation. You are my treasured special possession and I will establish you in the high place and I will dwell there with you. I'm paraphrasing multiple promises. But why don't you contextualize that into your own life? Why don't you make it real for you? God says, come on, don't live in fear. And you go, well, why? God says, well, because I've got a promise for you. I'm your father. I made you who you are. I created you for something special and I want to live with you. We should have confidence because God's given every single one of us a promise. And the second way that we can know that we're walking in the promises in the second line on the screen, and God says, even my spirit now testifies to you. How do you know that you're walking in that promise? Because the God who's in you is agreeing with what's going on. So to, to, to testify means to be a witness to. To testify would mean to affirm to bring confidence, to stand instead of, in place of, to assure and confirm the Spirit of God, as per the Scripture, the Spirit of God is in you, wanting to give evidence to the promise that lies in you. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that highly encouraging. But if we take our eyes off Him, or we take our, take our grip off the promise, then we drift. And that's what happened to these people, And I kind of wonder if it's what's happening in the church. But let's look at that when we discuss it. The final uh, point that I want to point to before we have a chat is um, this last passage could in fact be three sermons. And in some ways I wish it was, uh, but I'm, I'm I'm sticking to what the Lord's asked me to do. Time doesn't allow me to pull these three verses to bits. But what I've put on the screen is the literal translation of the Hebrew that God wants us to know today. So when they wrote the originals narrative of what God said, it was in Hebrew, they wrote it down, and this is the word-for-word translation. Greater will be the latter splendor of this house 
than the former. God says to us, it's going to get better. God says to us, there's more. God says to us, regardless of what it looks like or feels like for you today, whatever you're going through, whatever's going on, God says to you, the latter, the latter splendor will be greater than the former splendor. What you're remembering, what you've seen, what you've understood to this point, God says, it will be greater in the future. Hallelujah. Three people excited. Awesome. What's the point? You know, God is continually taking us from glory to glory. He's inviting us higher. He's inviting us into something fresh with him. The manna that was, cons- that was collected yesterday went moldy the next day. What's God's point? Fresh revelation, fresh manna, fresh sustenance for his people. When God talks about the latter rains, he's talking about the new season that's coming. He's talking about the pouring out of his presence in our midst, in our lives, and in our community that people will not just see us, but they will see him through us. The the greater, the latter will be greater, says God. There's a bunch of stuff that we could talk about in this verse, but I want to pause after this slide. Because some of you are thinking, like, man, life's not that comfortable. Life is tough or life is challenging. I'm walking through things that I don't understand. I can't comprehend. I don't know why it's happening this way. And it feels like things are shaking. Well, not surprisingly, the word of the Lord that he gave to us, me personally, in uh, the beginning of 2019 was from Hebrews 12 which quotes Haggai 2 and says, once again, the Lord says, I will shake not only the heavens and the earth so that only unshakable things will remain. It's no surprise we're in this season. But here's the point on the screen. Shaking always precedes glory. The point of the shaking is to remove those things that will inhibit the glory so the glory will be manifest in us. There's a season of pruning, there's a season of thinning, there's a season of purification, there's a season of sifting that's going on, and the reason God's doing it is because he's preparing us for the glory that will fall on his people, that we would be glory carriers. And if you read the Bible, I think that's the point of our relationship with God, is that he would transfer us into the image of Christ, that we would represent Christ. And Christ himself said, greater things shall even you do for those that have faith and walk in the promise. Um, Louise sent me a sermon to watch last weekend and I watched it um, online and, and the guy used this brilliant example of a sifting that went on in Acts chapter 1 and, and, and you know the story. Um, Jesus had multiple followers. He had thousands of people following him. Many, many, many believed in Jesus and his ministry because of the evidence of God at work um, in the lives of people. People healed, demons fleeing, um, Lazarus himself raised from the dead. But more than that, like the climax of the story is Jesus rose from the dead for eternity to live as our saviour. And everyone was excited about that until Jesus died. Because they're kind of like, oh, it didn't go the way we planned. And, and we find in... in um, At the end of Acts chapter 1, there's only 120 left in the upper room praying. And if I was there, like I'm interpreting because I wasn't there, but if I was there, I would assume that they would be praying, well, Jesus, you promised that the Father would send the gift that would enable us to go into all the world, so we're just going to wait until the gift comes. Because you made the promise and you're faithful to your promise, 
And so we're going to keep our eyes on you, not on the persecution that's happening, not on the guys that are getting beaten up, not on the families that are getting ousted out of their homes. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're, going to, we're going to come into the upper room. We're going to keep our eyes on you. And of the thousands that followed Jesus, only 120 were left. What's the key for us? Holding on to the promise of the Father and the harsh reality of life is what keeps us connected to his goodness and the glory that's coming. Hmm. So what I want to do is I want to just take 10, 15 minutes to spend time with others. And uh, we're going to have maybe groups of five or six people. So that's five or six in each group. And I want you to, everybody stand. So you can move. Everyone, everyone, everyone stand. Okay. And um, uh, if you, if you, if you want to be with your spouse, that's awesome, or your friend, that's cool. But I would encourage you to not sit with someone you came with, just for the diversity of conversation, because then you've got two things to talk about on the way home. Um, but get into groups of five or six as you're comfortable, self-managed. And I'm going to run around and, and, and provide these uh, worksheets for each group. Um, Phil will get you to help me as well. And then everyone can take a workbook home. I'm not asking you to do the whole thing. I'm just asking you to start a conversation, and I'm going to come back and we're going to respond to the Word of God. So everybody look around awkwardly and then just start moving, and then it will, it will happen, and we'll just have some discussion time for 10 minutes. Hey, um, I, love, I love the sound of conversation happening in the building. I don't want to detract from what's happening there. Uh, so I'm going to change the plan for the end of today. And I'm going to ask that you, before you finish, you just take a moment, maybe one or two people in their group could just pray. Um, but take an opportunity because I, I was feeling like uh, as I was coming today that there was really a desire that God wanted to let go of the old. God wanted you to, some people to let go of the old in order that they'd be able to reach for the new. And if, some, if that's you, then maybe ask for some encouragement or support from the people that you're sitting with. Uh, the other thing was, um, there are some people that are living in fear, and they struggled with that thought that I had, that God would invite us with an open hand not to live in fear. And if you're feeling fearful, um, then, and you're willing to, and if you're willing, then you can share that with the people you're with and ask them to pray with you. And then finally, uh, just if you're struggling to hold on to God's promise, and you might be struggling to hold on because you don't know what it is. Or you might just like be losing heart or losing hope. So I just wanted to just let you go uh, for a little bit longer, but have that as a conclusion, that you just support one another in the groups you're in. Um, and if anyone wants to come and see me about that as well, I'll be here. And uh, then we're going we're gonna to end our time uh, of service together, and we'll have some coffee and, um, and some, some fellowship. All right? But just wanted to give that back to you um, to, to land your conversation. Just think, is there someone that's, that needs some support or encouragement around letting go of the old to reach the new, uh, living in fear or struggling to hold on to the promise? And I'll leave it with you to decide how you do that in your groups.